So, what has the greatest influence on us? What voices do we listen to? The discipline of solitude and silence requires us to reflect on these questions. I think it requires us to ask ourselves, what is it that shapes and determines my day-to-day -day existence? My day-to-day behaviour, words and actions. What is it that has the greatest influence over who and what I am and do? Is it what I think it is, or are there other factors at play here? And who or what do I want to be the determining influences in my life? And I think we need to consciously and intentionally ask ourselves these questions. And the desert offers us space and time to reflect and to particularly ask what voices am I listening to? And I think this helps us to continue to ask those questions when we step back into our day-to-day -day lives. I think in a sense by, by going apart and setting aside time, that what that helps us is when we come back, I think we're given a little bit of distance and I think we're able to actually observe ourselves and ask ourselves in the day-to-day -day moment, what is it at this moment that is influencing me? What am I operating under? And is it what I want to be operating under? Silence and solitude, I think, allow us to drill down a bit deeper, perhaps to start to uncover and see more clearly our inner motivations and drivers. Jesus was tested on the issue of his inner core motivations before he began his public ministry. He was led by the Spirit into the desert to find out, in a way, what was going to really determine his life's work. Was he for himself or for God in this world? Who was he going to listen to? Who was going to have the primary influence over his life? And the first test he faced was around his physical survival, um, the needs of his body. I mean, he'd been fasting for a long time, so he was really, really hungry. And... Uh, the tempter comes and says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. As God, you created the physical laws of the universe. You can play with them, manipulate them to meet your own ends. It's easy. But Jesus' reply has always really um, sort of startled me in a way. But Jesus' reply to that was, man and woman do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think what Jesus was saying is, is we are more than our physical needs and our material lives. Life is much more than the physical and visible realm around us. You know, you are more than what other people can see with their eyes. You know there's an unseen reality that exists within you. There's something intangible and mysterious as we talked about last week, this mystery of heart, mind, soul, spirit. 
Our life experience tells us we're more than just body. And I think in the same way, in regards to the whole of the physical and material world, there is an invisible reality, an unseen spiritual dimension, which we can't normally see with our own eyes. And this is the dimension of God's existence. It's what the Bible calls heaven, but that is a word that has an awful lot of, I think, quite unhelpful baggage. Because heaven is, in a sense, the realm in which God exists. It is the spiritual dimension. But we tend to think in terms of space and time. So we think of, he of heaven as being very, very, very far away, like in the utmost outer far distant reaches of space <laughs> except that now we know space goes on forever <laughs> you know that's a bit difficult isn't it there is no end but you know along with that I think we think of God as being very 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 far away you know far removed from our everyday existence and our day-to-day -day humdrum lives and in a sense this is the legacy, I would say, of um, deism, that God is very far removed, pushed right to the edge of our consciousness. And in the same way, in a way, pushed right to the edge of our lives. You know, this is what's happened to God in modernity. God is just only just clinging on at the edge. And for most people, God's fallen off the edge, you know. God isn't there. So I think we need to reconceptualize a bit how we think about God. And it's a bit like, you know, modern physics requires you to bend your mind a bit to get your head around it. And I think in some ways, you know, we've got to bend our minds a bit to even start to think about God or the spiritual dimension. Because the spiritual dimension is not far away in spatial terms. In fact, it's very, very, very close. You know, it's here with us now. You know, when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, if I could do this... <laughs> which I can't. <laughs> but if I could part my, if I could with my hands part the physical realm and show you the spiritual realm, <laughs> I don't have that power, I would. But I think like that's what it's like. We're talking about another dimension that's right here, present, next, right, close. In a sense, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. It's just that we're unaware of it most of the time. You know, it's just, what I said last week, I think most of us, and I put believers and unbelievers in the same box here, I put people who are in church and in the world in the same box, I think that most of us in the West um, live our day-to-day -day lives really almost as practical atheists. You know, we're all children of the Enlightenment and modernity. We're completely dominated by the visible, physical world that surrounds us. And, you know, I mean, I think science is amazing. I think the gift of science is fantastic. And, you know, and I, I particularly think the last sort of 20, 30 years has been incredible. You know, and so I'm not anti-science. I think science is mind-blowing and wonderful that we've got that potential to explore the physical universe. But at the same time, along with all our amazing discoveries and, um, and our amazing technology. I think as regards the spiritual dimension, 
in the West, you know, I'm just going to say it as I think it, I think we've become ignorant and arrogant and foolish because we've, we're literally unseeing and unhearing. We're without knowledge and without understanding and without God in this world. I think we live in a ridiculously reductive understanding of our world. It's like we've got blinkers on. You know, it's like we're living in a tiny little room that we've constructed. But that tiny room really exists within a vast room. Like a vast, wondrous, incredible, amazing reality. But it's like we're only paying attention to the little bit we can see with our physical eyes. So, if we're only, I'm going to go back to where I was, which was, I guess, was more of a scientific physical reality and I'm, I'm sort of equating with this with just trying to live by bread alone just attending to our immediate or most visible physical and material needs I think if we if we get so into that um, that the danger is is that we don't know who we are anymore and we don't know how to live in this world and that one of the reasons we do need to go into the desert is to find out first and foremost who we are and what do we truly live by. You know, do you live by bread alone? What is it that sustains you, feeds you, nourishes you? What kind of food are you eating? What voices are you listening to? And it's interesting, Jesus says, be careful to what you listen to to what you pay attention to, what you give your ear to. Think carefully about what you allow yourself to be influenced by. And you, you could say that going into the desert is a bit like going on a detox. <laughs> you know, we're getting rid, perhaps we're getting rid of some of the junk. We're getting it out of our system. <laughs> um, we're trying to get ourselves healthy again. And anyone who's seeking to become healthy has to look at what they're taking into their body on a regular basis. And I think it's the same with our spirit, our soul, our inner being. You know, what kind of diet are you on? What do you feed yourself with? And there was a point in Jesus' ministry, in the Gospel of John, where he lost a lot of his followers, his disciples, his students. They left. <laughs> and I think it was because it was possibly the most difficult teaching he gave. And I think I understand why the Jews were offended, why the people that were listening to him abandoned him at this point, because it is really difficult. And I, I really feel like I should share this with you, but in myself I feel like this is difficult. I'm taking a risk. Jesus took a risk. But Jesus basically, at this in his ministry he told the people to feed on him he said your fathers ate the manna in the desert and died but I am the bread that comes down from heaven eat me eat my flesh and drink my blood I am the food that lasts forever that leads to eternal life. If you partake of me, you will not die. I am real food 
real drink. I mean, that is, that's quite a shocking statement. And I can't unpack all of that, but I just wanted to offer a few thoughts on Jesus' statement there, which is probably one of the most radical things that he said, that these words rest on the mystery, okay, that Jesus was fully human, but also fully divine. That in Jesus, God participated in our humanity in order that we could participate in his divinity. In order that we could find our way back home to who we truly are. Jesus offers us himself. It's not an idea, a method, a practice, but himself. You know, when you eat food, it becomes part of you. It goes into your system. And I think Jesus wants us to experience him that directly and that powerfully. And there is a sense that, you know, by coming as a human being, living and dying, that Jesus gave himself fully, nothing was held back. And that what he sifted through, when he was tested in the desert, you know, he was really asking whether he'd be for God or be for himself, you know, is it about his survival, um, his power, um, being recognized. And I think what was sifted through in the desert determined his life trajectory. Um, it determined ultimately that he did go all the way to the cross, that he went um, where he didn't want to go, and that he literally gave his body and his blood. And I have to say, I don't understand all of this rationally, but I do believe that on a cosmic level, it took a physical life and a physical death and a physical resurrection to open a door for us. And I think that through Jesus, a door has been opened for us into the spiritual dimension. A door has been opened that leads to a life that begins now but doesn't end and that we have been given access to a life in the spirit and ultimately this is what we go into the desert to find to find life itself and it's a journey home to find God waiting for us not just words but God wanting to give God's very self here I am, waiting to feed you, to care for you, to nourish you with myself. Not second-hand, but direct, personal knowledge. And I think Jesus went through that life, death, and resurrection, you know, to prepare us. In, the, you know, in, in John's Gospel, he talks, he says, I'm going to prepare a room for you in my Father's house. And it's like... I do think that that's an image of taking us back home to the place where we do really actually belong. And it's something about restoring um, something in us. The image of God being restored fully in us. Us being connected back to the source of our identity and our belonging. There is a place for us to belong. I think ultimately um, that's 
There is a difference here between Christianity and Buddhism. I think Christianity has learned an awful lot um, in the last 40, 50 years by understanding particularly some of the um, perspectives of the East and some of the practices. It's helped us to actually understand our own tradition again with different eyes. And um, Sarah Maitland is a, is a, has written this book called The Book of Silence because she's, as I spoke about earlier, she's on her own journey into silence. And she talks about the desert hermits and their spirituality being like this kind of emptying, that they go into the desert to sort of empty themselves, um, to make space for God. And what she says is, is that, and I'm going to quote her here, in some ways, this sort of spirituality has a great deal in common with Buddhism. Nonetheless, I sense that there is a difference of intention between Buddhist and Christian silence. Buddhist silence seeks beyond the personal. It seeks to end desire, and indeed to end all things, to escape from the wheel, from the cycle of return, and to merge completely into the one world spirit, spirit variously expressed as nirvana, enlightenment, or Buddha mind. Christian silence seeks an openness to the divine that is personal in Christ who emptied himself of all but love. Self-emptying, canotic love is therefore a fulfillment of the true self, which traditionally is held to have the capacity to rejoice eternally without losing specific personality. Moreover, Christianity believes that the world is real and redeemable, and therefore personality as part of that whole is sustainable. Buddhism believes that the world is illusion, not real. It and all its grief are shadows and delusion from which we can, through undeceiving ourselves, escape. I think these are different freedoms, though the way of arriving there is similar. So there's something about, I think, the Christian path that addresses us as on a personal level. Yes, we are meant to get beyond ego and the kind of, perhaps the self that's all about me, 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 me. But yet, as persons, we are valued and we are sought in terms of, I believe that God seeks to have a relationship with us as, as persons, that God seeks to address you as a person, to engage in that personal relationship, a conversation. And I think that ultimately, you know, Jesus offers body and blood because God wants to restore all of the physical creation. It's about every bit of us every bit of us, a total relationship. I think of the most intimate and profound nature that that's what we're being invited into. I'm, just, I'm going to finish with another reference to a room. <laughs> um, when Jesus taught on prayer, he said, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And so I just want to finish by saying that we are, I think we are being invited into a room, a room that Jesus has prepared. And it's a room in which, in a sense, perhaps the unseen 
becomes open to us, becomes really accessible. And in some ways that room is both without, but as Ian is said, it's that room is within, it's within us. And it's where we discover where our home is and what our true identity is. That we're being invited, uh, in a sense, to become children of God. That God wants to own us as sons and daughters. Adopt the Bible has an image of adoption, being readopted. That we become brothers and sisters of Christ. Incredible. And that we learn to live not just by bread alone, but by an invisible spirit, the invisible spirit of God with us, in us, through us, leading us. And that we go into solitude and silence really to discover that room. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.